Today we're going to start a... Um, I just thought I'd have a bit of fun. Basically, I love stories. I love the stories in the Bible. And so I thought we would start today by telling a story. So I've called it Bibleographies. You know, they're like biographies or bibliographies, except they're Bibleographies. And um, so that's what we're going to do today. So the, the Bible is, it, it looks like it's one book. Hey, look, here's one here. It looks like it's one book, but it's actually not. It's actually a collection of books. It's actually like, more like a library of books, uh, is the Bible. And so today, what I, and sorry, lots of different types of stuff in there as well. There's, there's law um, or guidelines for life. There's prophetic writings. There's historical narrative. Uh, narrative is, is story. There's gospels, which is specifically the good news of what Jesus did. There's letters, lots of different stuff. There's poems, there's songs. And so today, one of my favorite things in the Bible is actually the stories. I love the historical narratives. The narratives is another big fancy word for the word story. And, and so today what I want to do is actually just focus in on one person that, that we might not know lots about. Um, and that is the life of Hannah. Or as I listen to uh, one of my Bible websites uh, in Hebrew is pronounced Hannah. Did you know that? My daughter's name is Hannah, uh, and my other daughter's name is Shiloh. And this morning, they were even considering um, doing a photo together, you know, so we could, but we didn't get around to it. But, um, so let's open in prayer, and then we'll dive into this story of Hannah, and actually try and unpack some lessons that we can learn from her life. That's what I love about the Bible. Like, when you look at the stories of the Bible, you can learn so much. You learn st- stuff from their triumphs from their failures, from their mistakes, from their successes. Uh, And you can really see God in all of them. Because the Bible is written from God's perspective. When you're writing a a historical document, uh, you have to choose which angle you're going to, you know, what version of history are are you going to teach? Like, if as Australians, we often speak of the Australian version of history. Uh, but if you're from another country, maybe you would, when they tell history, they would tell it from their perspective. This, the Bible is the history of the world told, but it's God's story. It's his story. Uh, and this is, that's what I love about the, sto- the narrative of the Bible, is it's actually told from, a lot of it's told from God's perspective. Not so much God telling the story as much as God is involved. It's, and it highlights the things that he wants us to highlight. We've got to remember that the Bible is written by God. The Holy Spirit inspired each of those authors to write what they wrote and, uh, and to tell the story. So you can really start to pick up what God wants to say. And so when we look at a narrative, when we look at the story of Hannah, there are lessons that we can learn from her life. Uh, and, and one of the beautiful things is we can see God's response because that's what the Bible does. It highlights what does God think of that, good or bad? What does God think of that nation going to war with na- that nation? And you start to hear God's perspective. So let's pray and see what stories, what lessons we can learn from the life of Hannah. So Father God, we just thank you for your word. We live in such a privileged season of the world this this period of life this period of time that we are we live in we're on on 
on the, this side of the cross where we understand who Jesus is and was and, and who he is going to be in the future. We are filled with your Holy Spirit. So we actually have your presence with us all the time. And we have the benefit of the Word of God where, where you have penned stories and songs and lore and all, all that kind of stuff for us to benefit us. We live in a really privileged moment in, in the period of the world. And I imagine as we get to heaven one day and we're comparing notes with all these people, you know, they didn't, in the Old Testament, they had, they had scriptures, but they had different, you know, it was, just, it was just some of the scriptures that we have today. And even before then, there was a period of time where they had no scriptures. But you still revealed yourself to each. And so, Lord, I pray that you will reveal yourself to us today. That you will reveal who you are through your word. Through this story as we, as we narrow down on one person's life. God, speak to us. And help us, help it be relevant to us today. Help us learn lessons from Hannah's life. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today, uh, I'm not going to have all the scripture on the screen. Okay, so if you have a Bible, uh, feel free to grab it out now. Uh, there's one right here. Um, there's a few Bibles at the back there as well. Uh, I am going to be reading out of the NIV because they're the versions of the Bible that are scattered around the building. So uh, if you have, yeah, your backlit Bible, um, your phone, uh, grab it out. We are going to be reading out of 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. Okay, so uh, obviously I'm going to read it. Now, I'm not going to read every single word. Um, so if you want the whole story, I'd really encourage you to, uh, to read it yourself uh, afterwards. Um, but I'm just going to kind of highlight the bits that help us tell the story. Okay, 1 Samuel chapter 1 from the NIV. So there's a certain man from Ramathaim. And if you're reading a different version of the Bible, it might be Ramathaim, Ziphim. Like, there's a few different words. And later on in the text, it nicknames this place Ramah. So there was a certain man from Ramathaim, a, Zuf, a Zuphite, from the hill country of Ephraim. So Ephraim's the country. Uh, he, Zuphite is his family line. His name was Elkanah. And his great-great-granddad was a guy named Zuph, which is why they call him a Zuphite. There you go. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, I believe. Verse 2. He had two wives. Sorry, we're getting lessons from the life of David, but I'm not going to highlight that one. Um, but I recommend just one. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, and the other was called Peninnah. Peninnah? Peninnah. The app I read said Peninnah. All right, so well, I'll try and do that. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Now, I need to unpack this a little bit because... Um, we don't necessarily see it like this anymore. But children in the Bible times are a blessing. <laughs> children are a blessing. You guys are a blessing. Okay? Me and your mum, we think you are an absolute blessing to our lives. Um, but some people, you know, don't necessarily think that. But in Bible times, you've got to remember that there was different roles in the household. And, and the woman's role 
was to have children and to look after the home. And so for Hannah, she, was, uh, she really felt like she was missing her purpose because she couldn't have kids. The Bible describes it as the, the, the Lord had closed her womb. And I think we'll, as we unpack the story, we'll see why. And um, because that changes. But Hannah was really lacking purpose. And I think that added to her distress. Okay? So I just wanted to highlight that. Verse 3. Year after year, this man, whose name was? Anyone remember? Elkanah. Thank you. Kids, I'm gonna, I might be testing you, so you might want to follow. Um, year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh. So Shiloh's the place where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were the priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to his wife Peninnah and to her sons and daughters, because she had sons and daughters, Verse 5, but to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the, and the Lord had closed her womb. Just to make this a little bit more real, I, I got some maps. So if you bring the map up and you'll notice right, uh, I, I don't have a pointer, but right above the word Ephraim is the word, uh, is, that's the place that they lived, that's the town they lived, Zamathaim Zophim. Uh, and then just to the right of that, you'll see Shiloh. Okay, so that's the place. So they, they travel two inches every year. Um, to, <laughs> I don't know how long that took them um, to go. Now, as far as the time uh, in history, because uh, some of you are history buffs, this was around the 1100 BC. So Eli was the judge at this time. So the judge is what they called, they didn't have a king in Israel at this point. So what they did have was people appointed, normally prophets, appointed by God, prophets or priests, appointed by God, and they were called judges. So Eli was the judge at that point in time. He was the judge for 40 years from 1142 BC to 1102 BC. So this is the period of time we're talking about. Then after that, uh, the young man Samuel took over, and he was 38 years old. So uh, that'll give you some, um, some framework for this. Now, here's an interesting thing. Um, if you are ever tempted to think, ah, oh, the Bible's just a story, it's not actually a historical document, uh, there's actually lots of fascinating finds in archaeology today. Uh, and they've, they've been excavating the place Shiloh uh, right now. In fact, there's, there's a team over there right now excavating it. And um, I've got a, a small video um, to show you, that I thought the um, that we it actually adds a, it makes it a lot more real. So I love that. So can you just roll that video for us?
this is where you came to connect with God. Shiloh, or they, they pronounce it Shiloh, was effectively the capital city of Israel. Uh, this is where the Ark of the Covenant lived. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, um, that basically represents the presence of God. That was his presence with his people, uh, was the Ark of the Covenant. And it was this temple that Eli and his sons were priests of. Uh, this is the place we're talking about. So the Ark of the Covenant lived there. This was the capital of Israel. And it was also the reason that Elkanah and his family and every other Jewish family would migrate there every year to sacrifice. Because obviously the sacrifice was to uh, ask for forgiveness for the sins of, of him and his whole family. This is where you came to connect with God. So Elkanah, Hannah, Peninnah and her children all went to Shiloh to worship and to connect with God. This, there was a really healthy rhythm that they had in their calendar. And I think this is the first lesson that I want to highlight. And that is, it is good to have a regular rhythm of worship and honor of God in your calendar. It is good. Uh, we'll have the points on the screen as well. But it is good to have worship of God in your regular everyday calendar. And now, obviously, I, I believe that Elkanah, even though, so this was a one-year event, they would travel to Shiloh to ask for the forgiveness of their family's sins. But there were uh, at least five feasts that they would have celebrated through the year as well as a Jewish family. But I imagine that Elkanah, uh, as, as a devout Jew, he would have had daily rhythms of, of prayer. Uh, he would have had weekly rhythms of prayer and worship, and, and they, obviously they had annual rhythms as well. And I think they're really healthy things. So uh, we, you guys are all here. On Sunday, this is one of our rhythms. On Sundays, we gather to worship. And I hope, and my prayer for you, is that you have really healthy daily rhythms as well, where you get into the Word, where you pray, where you, where you worship, whatever is right for you. Uh, you have weekly rhythms, so coming to church is a weekly rhythm. And we've also got annual rhythms as well, where we, um, at Easter time, which is not a Jewish holiday, but we choose to celebrate the, the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus at, at that time of year. Uh, at Christmas time, which again is not a Jewish uh, festival, but we choose to celebrate and honour the birth of Jesus at that time. And so we've got annual rhythms as well. So uh, that's the first lesson that I just want to highlight. It is healthy to have rhythms of honoring God and worship. I also just want to note, uh, there was this little phrase in that little bit that I just read about Elkanah gave Hannah a double portion. It's because he liked her. Uh, and I think it's also because he realized that this was a particularly hard time of the year. And we're about to find out why. But just so you know, I found it interesting uh, when they, so they would bring an animal, uh, normally a sheep, um, but there's multiple animals that they could use. But let's say it was a sheep. You would first sacrifice the animal in, 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 in I won't go into details, um, but they would sacrifice the animal and you would first give God his portion, which I, I believe was half of the animal. And they would burn that on the altar. And then uh, with the rest of the animal, they would, give, they would first give some to the priest because that was his payment, as it were. Um, they would give some to the priest. And then as the family, they got to divide it among themselves. 
giving each a portion. So when you guys have a lamb roast at home, uh, we do this as well. You know, you get someone with a sharp knife and they carve it up and they give portions to everyone. So this is simply saying that he gave a double portion to Hannah because she was his favorite. And I think that may have maybe some of the reason that caused what happens next. So let's pick it up in verse, is it eight? Six? Verse six, thank you. It's very small on my page. Um, Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. Who's her rival? Peninnah, the other wife. Again, mental note, gentlemen, it's good to have one. Um, Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and could not eat. How nasty is that? Peninnah is a nasty piece of work. She bullied Hannah to the point where Hannah would cry and would refuse to eat. Not cool. So the lesson two that I want to bring out um, and, and, and this is a bit of a general statement, so I'm not saying, but I, I know bullying is a big deal in school, right? Uh, all the kids in the high school is bullying, and all the chaplains know this as well. Bullying is a big deal, and unfortunately in adult life as well, because we often don't grow up. But bullies, here's, here's my lesson, um, bullies bully, not all the time, but often, because they're jealous, Bullies often bully because they're jealous. Now, I was, um, Elkanah loved Hannah and favoured Hannah, and I suspect this caused some friction. Um, not always good to have favourites. Uh, but just marry one, your favourite, and uh, then you'll be sorted. So, um, as a chaplain, uh, I was a chaplain for a number of years in primary school and high school, um, and I would often see this. And I would often get kids, oh, this person's bullying me because they've got that language now. And bullying to a kid can be a variety of different things. Um, but they've got this language, bullying. And often, again, not all the time, but often it's actually caused because this other person was jealous of them. Let's say it's two girls and, and this girl's jealous of, of, of this other girl and therefore was bullying her and teasing her and picking on her. Uh, and, and the same with boys. And so as all these adults, you might look back through your life and think of moments like that. But kids, often, just you should know this, when you get, if you're ever getting teased, sometimes it's actually because they're jealous of, of you. And it can be, it might not even be, they might not even be very aware of it. They, they could be jealous of you because your parents are still married and love each other and theirs have broken up. Um, it could be something like that. Honestly, they might not even be aware of why they're jealous of you. Uh, they just might like your hair uh, better than theirs, so they tease you. So, it, 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 honestly, it can be really... And sometimes they don't even know. And there is another, there is another tease that happens that I, I noticed a lot when I was a chaplain, um, especially uh, when, it's, when it's boys teasing girls and sometimes when it's girls teasing boys. It's actually because it's actually they got a crush on you. And they don't know how to process this, so they tease you instead. And that happened so many times. In fact, in the playground, I would often shut down teasing really quickly when, you know, by highlighting that. Oh, maybe he just likes you. And then he runs away. <laughs> and the teasing stops. Um, interesting. I'm not sure that's a good strategy, but there you go. 
I'm being vulnerable. Um, okay, so I, I highlight this, but I'm not suggesting that bullying is okay. Okay? Bullying is not okay. Teasing other people is not okay. It made Hannah feel worse than she already did. It made her cry, and it made her avoid eating. Avoiding eating is not a good coping mechanism. And on the other side, overeating because you're feeling down and, and distressed isn't a good coping mechanism either. Okay? I'll just highlight that as well. How should we respond as Christians? Uh, and Hannah is a good example of this, even though she's never heard the word Christian. How should we respond when people are teasing us, when people are opposing us, when people are bullying us? I'd recommend that we respond the same way Hannah did. So how did she respond? Let's jump in. Verse 9. Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, so as a family, uh, Hannah stood up, and I assume she went to the temple, or maybe they were already there. Now Eli, the priest was sitting on the chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house, just like that video said. That's actually when he was 99 or 98 years old. That's actually where he died. He actually, he was very old. He, he heard the news that the Ark of the Covenant had been stolen, that his sons had been killed, and out of shock, and let's, he, was, he was 98 years old, like he was old. Um, he, he fell over, hit his head on that, on that brick wall that we saw there, and, and that's how he died, which... Um, it's incredible that they found that very brick wall. Verse 10. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord, Lord Almighty. Can I, I don't know if I can do a, a girl voice. Lord, Lord, Lord. No, no I'm just going to read. Um, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant and give her a son, talking about herself, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. Lesson number three, how to praise. This is a lesson that we need as well. Hannah prays. When she's getting bullied, when she's getting teased, when she was distressed and deep in anguish, weeping bitterly, she prayed. She went to the Lord. She begged God for a child. And she actually, in fact, made a vow that, in fact, if God would bless her with a child, that she would give him back to the Lord to serve the Lord all the days of his life. Just even the thought of that is amazing. Because a mother who loves a child that much and has prayed for a child that much would actually then give him over to live somewhere else is a phenomenal thought. We have such a mighty privilege to come before the God of heaven, the almighty God of heaven and earth. We actually have the privilege, the God-given privilege to speak to him. In the Old Testament, uh, you know, she actually went to the place where God was. The Ark of the Covenant was in the next room. We actually carry the Holy Spirit with us. And 
we, we have the, Jesus has taught us how to pray, but we, it is a mighty privilege, not one to be taken lightly. Hannah prayed with transparency and vulnerability. And I think that is a good lesson for us. We need to pray with transparency and vulnerability. As we fast forward into the new covenant, the New Testament, this side of Jesus, this side of the cross, uh, we can see Jesus taught us how to pray. In the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, he says, pray like this to our Father who is in heaven. He wants us to pray to our Father who, who actually is in heaven. That's how he wants us to relate to God. I know I've, I've spoken on that before. Uh, fast forward just one chapter. In just, so that was in Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? We have a Father who loves us, and he wants to give us good gifts. I'm not saying that that means everything in your life will go smooth sailing from then on, but I am saying he does want to be involved in our lives. And we, when we come before him with vulnerability and with transparency, he wants to meet us in that place. It is a mighty privilege that we have to pray. In First Peter, I just want to highlight one more verse. First um, Peter 5 verse 6, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's, own, God's mighty hand. There's that word humble, uh, vulnerable, trans, transparency, humility, all goes hand in hand. That he may lift you up in, in due time. Verse 7, it says this, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast all your anxiety on him, just like Hannah did. When you are feeling deeply distressed, cast your cares upon him. When you're feeling bullied cast your cares upon him when life hasn't worked out the way you wanted it or hoped it to work out cast your cares upon him he's a loving father he loves you and he hears you it doesn't mean you get everything your way but it does mean uh, quoting romans eight twenty eight, that we know that those who love god all for those who love god all things work together for good because that's god's heart He's trying to work everything for good. We should be authentic. We should speak genuinely to God, just like Hannah did. You won't offend God with your honesty. You can't offend God with your honesty. I think the most offensive thing to God is when you ignore Him. When you try and manipulate Him. When you dismiss Him. You're not going to offend him with your honesty. Hannah, in this story, she wept bitterly and, and she was in deep anguish and she came and literally laid it at the altar. We need to be people like that. Don't, don't worry about getting the words right. It's not about getting the words right. Don't worry about offending him. Don't worry. You don't have to pretend. He already knows your heart anyway. He knows everything about you. He knows your thoughts. He knows what you're feeling. You're not going to surprise him either. But 
A father loves it when his kids come and ask for help. And that's what God wants us to do. Picking up the story in verse 12. As she, Hannah, kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk. Of course, that's what, I don't know how he got to that. Eli thought he was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put, your, put, put away your wine. <laughs> Lesson number four, don't judge each other. Eli made a judgment. Eli, judge, he, he just assumed that because she was praying in a way that he was unfamiliar with. Maybe there was a way to pray back then that I'm not familiar with. And clearly she wasn't doing it that way. She was pouring her heart out to God to the point where Eli assumed something else. Maybe you've grown up in a tradition that does things in a certain way in church, that prays a certain way, that worships a certain way. Maybe you've grown up in a tradition that strictly hands stay down. Or maybe you've grown up in a tradition where, you're strict, where everyone's got their hands raised and you're actually wondering, are they legit or are they just faking it? Like, my point here is don't judge each other. It's not our place to judge. People are all different and we all come before the Lord and we should have the freedom to express ourselves the way that we want to, that the way that we feel is genuine for us. And so I would love this church to be a place where people are comfortable to raise their hands, where they're comfortable to, to not raise their hands, where they're comfortable to stand, where they're comfortable to sit, where you're comfortable to kneel. Whatever expression uh, that is genuine for you, I hope that you feel comfortable to do that. And I also hope that if somebody's doing something in a way that you're not very familiar with or not the way that you would do it, I would encourage you to learn from Eli and don't judge. Don't judge him because uh, it, is, it, is, it is only the Lord who can judge, really. It's not our... God wants us to be brothers and sisters in Christ who don't judge each other. Uh, they, God loves unity. He loves it when his kids get along. He loves it when his kids get along. I can relate to that too. Verse 15, let's pick it up. This is Hannah's response. Hannah replied, Not so, my Lord. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli responded, he answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have been asking, what you have asked him. Lesson number five, we should pray for each other. Eli quickly, he quickly changed his attitude towards her. And in fact, his response was to pray for her. I just want to highlight, he didn't even know what she had asked. He didn't ask her what she had asked. 
he understood that it wasn't necessarily his business. He understood it was her pouring her heart out to God. He he was the judge. He He was a priest. He certainly could have asked. But it's not necessary to know the details of how to pray for someone. But I certainly encourage you to pray for people. Pray for each other. Eli prayed for Hannah. He did not know the request, and he certainly didn't know the implications. Fast forwarding the story, he actually ended up raising her son from the age of about three or four. (laughs) I wonder if he would have prayed that, if he knew uh, what was going to happen. I don't know, maybe. Prayer is simply standing with our brother and sister in Christ and talking to our Heavenly Father. Praying for someone else, I'll say it again, is to stand with your brother and sister in Christ and, uh, and intercede on their behalf to their Father. You don't need to know all the details. Just pray for them. And if, if ever we've got an environment where we've invited people up for prayer, like we, we uh, I make that appeal regularly. Uh, if you want to come forward today after church, I'm going to hover around right here. and You can just come up during the last song. Or you can certainly just ask someone near you to pray. But they don't need to know all the details. You don't need to, to think you need to be that level of vulnerable to them before you pray for them. Okay. Verse 20. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And she named, she named him Samuel. Because I asked the Lord for him. Lesson six, God is faithful. God is faithful. It said that he had closed her womb, but now uh, he, responded in, he responded faithfully to her request and was faithful to Eli because he prayed for her too. Now, uh, if we fast forwarded it to the next chapter, H- Hannah actually ends up having five kids in addition to Samuel. She ends up with three other boys and two other girls, which is beautiful. God is faithful. Lesson seven, Hannah was faithful. Hannah was faithful. When, and it says when she weaned him, which would have been around the age of three or four, she actually took him to the temple, left him with Eli to grow up in the presence in the temple, to grow up in the presence of the Lord, just like she had promised, which would have been... a like a traumatic experience. She didn't have any other kids at this point. But that was her promise to God. God had honoured her and she responded in the right way and that is to be faithful to God, to be faithful to her vow. All right, can I just invite the worship team to come back up as we, as we I'm just going to wrap up with this last point. Verse 21 The Lord was gracious to Hannah. She gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, I just want to highlight this bit. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Remember, he grew up in the temple. He lived there with Eli and his boys. 
And this is also where the Ark of the Covenant was. That, that represented the presence, the very presence of God. So the last lesson that at least I'd like to identify today is that we need to pursue the presence of the Lord. Pursue the presence of the Lord. We don't have to go to a temple nowadays to discover that presence. We are in fact temples of the Holy Spirit. We actually have Him with us all the time. But just like you could avoid going to the temple, we can avoid the Holy Spirit as well. He might be here with us, but it's very easy to ignore Him. So my prayer for you and my appeal, and this is the and this is what we'll close, is pursue an intimate relationship with the Lord. Pursue knowing Him and, and honouring Him, knowing that He is right there. He, he's, he's living in you and with you, if you've invited Him to. So would you stand? And I'm just going to hand over back to these guys. And let me close in prayer. Will you stand with me? Oh, Father God, I thank you for the life of Hannah. Thank you that we can learn so much from her. Lord, thank you that your word is full of stories and people that we can learn from. But Lord, help us learn this well. Because knowing you is not an academic thing. We can know about you and not know you. Lord, help us be people who know you. And we can spend the rest of our lives learning about you as well. Lord, we want to be people who know you personally, who know you intimately, who grow up in the presence of the Lord like Samuel did. Lord, we thank you and we love you. And we pray that you'll keep on teaching us about how to live your way. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to come forward for prayer during this song uh, or afterwards, I'm just going to hang out down here.